Speed Cafe newscast. Your host, Mark Fogarty. Coming up, the great unknown. Why it's the most unpredictable great race ever. Larco, Scaifey, Simona and more. The Aussie racing car company poised for export success. It's all straight ahead on the Speed Cafe newscast. Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and here's what's happening. After two thrilling footy grand finals, this weekend's Repco Bathurst 1000 is also set to be a cliffhanger. Bathurst is almost always unpredictable, but this time more than ever. Gen 3 has thrown up so many unknowns that there's a real sense of adventure ahead of this 60th anniversary edition of the great race at Mount Panorama. The favourites, of course, are the Triple Eight and Erebus combinations, particularly Sandown 500 winners Brock Feeney and Jamie Wincup, and runners-up Brody Kostecki and David Russell. But experts like popular TV pundit Mark Larkham won't be surprised if there's a big upset. Ahead of the Larkometer, coming up on Wednesday in the Speed Cafe podcast, here's his overview of what we can expect. Well, for a start, Larko agrees that it's hard to recall a Bathurst 1000 full of so many uncertainties. And never more so than this year with Gen 3 and everything else going on. I can't remember a more unpredictable Bathurst 1000 coming up. Well, you know, I mean, you're here to, well, well, I'm here to talk to you about, you know, hot tips and who might and who mightn't. But I've got to say, folks, just in my own pre-event analysis, which we all do a bit of work on and getting our heads around a lot of the issues and creating stories that we think, you know, or, or being prepared to tell stories or, bits and pieces that we think will eventuate in the race. I mean, I, I've got a list here that's longer than any list that I've done uh, prior to going to Bathurst because there is so much change. Um, and, and, you know, whilst we can talk about form of drivers and teams and what have you, for me, the the overarching theme for the outcomes at this Bathurst will be around the significant change, you know, obviously the, the new car, but what what that new car brings in terms of you know, what's it going to be like to drive across the top, particularly for co-drivers with a lot less aero. But then what's the distinct between the grip and no grip of a softer tyre than we've ever taken there? What's the life of that tyre going to be? A team's going to do what they typically always do, and I've been there and blown a front right tyre, while up near the front end of the field, trying to be greedy with camber because you've got the grip of the tyre to do that. Are we going to see that materialise? Um, we've got no anti-roll bar adjusters in the car. You're literally going to have to ship your car out of balance, if that makes sense. Um, because as the car uses its fuel load, which is now far greater, far heavier and far higher in the car, and will take its toll on the rear tyre as that washes away at the same time that your rear tyre disintegrates, you want your car to come into balance in the middle of your stint. 
And of course, your stint's going to be longer because the much greater capacity in the fuel tank, 133 litres up from 110, the better fuel efficiency of this new BP racing fuel we're using now um, means that gone are the nice little cute you know, 21, 22, 23 lap stints. Now the capability is going to be there to do a 29 lap stint, you know, somewhere around there. What's that going to mean? That that now complicates all sorts of things. I mean, surely you're not going to do a triple stint at the end now. That's 90-odd laps. Uh, forget it. Really puts an emphasis on having a really fast co-driver so you can swap them around conveniently through the day rather than this thing of getting your co-driver laps done and getting them out. You're not even going to want your co-driver in there for two full laps. Are we going to see full stints, folks? You know, Are you going to see 29-lap runs? Or I think what you're going to see is more timed pit stop. You know, the fuel flow, now at a much slower rate filling the cars. They're going to be sitting stationary for a full tank nearly double the time, nearly a minute. And I could go oh. on forever about all the implications around that. I mean, there are so yeah. many things, mate. He adds that the race looks to be up for grabs. It really is. And, and it'll be he and she and they that are preemptive, anticipate this stuff absolutely have the ability to be flexible during the day that that will prevail but mark my words it, it, it that will get you to somewhere in the vicinity of those last you know the, the last stop or two as crompo said all the time you got to get that ticket and then amongst all of that you're still going to have to manage having a fast driver in a fast car if you're any chance at winning what becomes an absolute sprint and history tells us, folks, you know, we can say, oh, you know, but year on year on year on year is, is what I'm saying, mate. It just keeps delivering. It turns into this full-on sprint from, you know, typically around somewhere around 120 on. You know, it's it's incredible. That's not to say, and in fact, I just, I don't like when I hear drivers say, um, you know, we're driving to a time or driving to a number or, at the end of the day, even if you're doing that, what you're doing as a driver and as a team, always as a race driver, you are always driving the car as fast as you can without killing it or without killing the tyre. So if that means driving to a number, that will be a number that you can drive to without killing the tyre. That is the skill of the game. doesn't matter if it's in Formula 1 supercars or anything else. That's the game, driving the car as fast as you can all day I can go out and drive at a qualifying pace for three laps. That doesn't take a lot of skill to do that and destroy the tyre. You've got to drive as fast as you can and not destroy. And that's going to become a big issue at Bathurst because of this soft tyre. We've never taken a tyre there this soft. And in terms of a potential upset, Larko thinks Gen 3 has really shaken the tree. It it, it has, mate. It, it, it really has. I, I, I think it's going to be harder than it has. Um, you know, we've taken 60-odd percent of the downforce. And, you know, that's all that's all nice everywhere we've been. And, I mean, I've spoken to most drivers in the field, if not all, and everyone does agree that the removal of the downforce has achieved one of the key objectives. Uh, and maybe we can do more, but the cars can, as a matter of fact, race closer than they have been able to because the car in front is not creating such a dirty wash. But more importantly, the car behind because it has such less aero capability, is therefore not affected as much when the airflow coming across it is disturbed. So I 
salivate at the thought of the last 10 laps, if they're anything like, you know, the last decade or so when we've seen cars really close together in those closing laps. So across the top of the mountain, from once you exit the cutting to the point that you turn, you know, probably into, down into the dipper, across there, average is 200 k's an hour, average. And you're going to have, and you're turning nearly the whole time. And you're going to have nearly 60% less downforce than what you've enjoyed up there. Now, if we were still there on a hard tire with a lack of downforce, you caught it, you, you know, you sort of, you can feel, it's a little bit like wet. You can feel the car before it starts to slide, the harder the tire is. The softer the tire, the more it grips up and the distinct between grip and no grip becomes a little more like a step or a cliff. Um, and I'm not suggesting it's going to be that bad, but but I do believe a combination of those two things mean that all drivers, and I think co-drivers in particular, will be working harder across the top to keep the car fast and stable than they maybe have done in, in, in recent years. And I, I think, folks, one of the keys to, to winning Bathurst and mitigating some of the driving risk, we often say at Bathurst that, as a driver, you know, I'll trade balance for grip any day because, of course, the game is about grip, but all the grip in the world is meaningless if you don't have balance in the car. If I want to flow that car across the top of the mountain all day at speed, at that average of 200 k's an hour, it needs to have balance. But as I alluded to earlier, mate, that's going to be so hard without anti-roll bars in the car because when you leave the pit lane on cold tyres, man, rear, rear anti-roll bar straight up nice and firm to get the car turning on cold tyres. Then as you burn off that fuel load, as the rear tyres go away, you just ease it back and you can bring your front bar up to stiffen up the front and so you can tune the car. But that's gone. Bucko has prepared a special 60th anniversary tribute for Sunday's broadcast on Fox Sports and 7. He admits putting it together brought back a lot of great memories. Sure are, folks. I mean, I know we, we chat about this stuff because we are uh, deeply passionate about it. Mean, it. It means a lot. And, you know, like any sport, I think our history is one of the most important assets. And, you know, my mates, you know, yeah, I work in the telecast and I've driven the cars and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, mate, I'm a, I'm a yobbo like all the buddies and we're all, you know, we're, we're Bathurst and motor racing fans first and foremost, long before I got involved with it. So I, I, I feel deeply attached to the history. I love the history. I was a, a serious Alan Moffat and Dick Johnson fan as a young bloke. And, you know, I'm now lucky enough to be talking about those things. So as you know, mate, I've been working pretty hard on some stuff for Bathurst um, without letting too much out of the bag. I have spent a lot of time uh, with Emma, my associate, uh, producer to bring together a, a really quite significant little piece that we will put to air, you know, probably an hour or half an hour before the start of the race that, that you know, hopefully for everyone, they enjoy it as much as I have making it. It's um, that it captures a lot of our, our history because, you know, for everything we do as a sport, this event, it's history, the icons, and it's just not iconic drivers and teams, is it? It's, it's iconic cars and periods, folks, and that's what, for me, is part of the story. And, you know, I don't think any are any better or worse. They're just, they're different, you know, from the from from the showroom stuff to when the, the VH came along in 67 and 
with four and Holden bounced back. And that really started the whole thing that, that whichever way you cut the cake, we're still going up there, call it whatever you like. It still is fundamentally, yeah, it's blue and blue, but it's still red versus blue. It's, it's Chev, which is GM, which was always Holden versus Ford. Um, and the Euros have come and go, gone the Sierras, the Mercs, the Volvos, the BMWs, but we migrate back to these big cars that express their body language, that have the beautiful sweet note of a V8 that, you know, for whatever else goes on in the motorsport sport world, from an efficiency point of view, knock your socks off. Um, we are who we are and we make no apologies for it. And um, I just proud to be associated with it, mate. And uh, it's quite the spectacle. So stop it, folks. I'm getting, I'll get all emotional here, mate, talking about this. And it's that emotion and passion that the fans love about Larco. His analysis from the Hino Hub will, more than ever, be a key feature of the broadcast this weekend. Before then, we'll present the Larcometer, his rankings and ratings of the field, from Smokies to Sizzlers. That's coming up on the Speed Cafe podcast at the special earlier Bathurst Eve time on Wednesday. Heading the broadcast commentary, of course, will be Bathurst legend Mark Scaife. Scaife also thinks the race is wide open, but he's sticking with known form for his top tips. Yeah, I'm going to stay with the pick that I had at Sandown for Chev, for GM. I think Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup will take a lot of beating. Um, Feeney continues to improve and Winkup is probably destined to win you know, another couple of Bathurst. For Ford and the Mustang camp, I reckon Holdsworth and Mostert will take a lot of beating. I mean, I know the shell cars probably go in there as the, as the lead Mustangs, but I think that combination, the last time we saw them at Bathurst, they won, and I think they're going to be very, very powerful up there. Scaife is Supercars Gen 3 czar, predicting the massive rule change will continue to shake things up at the mountain. Well, given it's the biggest change of the sport since 1993 and the Gen 3 program through the course of this year has revealed lots of different things, certainly a lot of different winners, a lot of different people on the podiums, and to have a form guide going into Bathurst, I think everywhere I've gone and people ask me about who's going to win, you really don't know. We really don't know what, what's going to happen. But when you've got such a massive architectural change for this year with Gen 3, one of the big things is always going to be how hard do you drive them all day? And can you get away with the old sprint race mentality? My gut feel is that you won't. My gut feel is that you'll have to be clever about when you have to go fast and when you use that speed up. And to me, it's the last two stints of the day. It's the last two stints. You've got to buy a ticket to the finish. And based on that, I think that's going to be the bit that I'm really looking forward to. Amid the 60th anniversary celebrations, Scaife notes that the importance of the Peter Brock Trophy has never been greater. I think it's, it's very symbolic given Peter's success with nine Bathurst wins. It's also symbolic the year that he passed away, 2006, that Craig Lowndes was able to win it. I was in that battle, you know, through that weekend. We were the factory team. We were the shortest price favourites to win that. Garth Tander and I were on pole position. 
we're out of the race within one kilometre and having won the race the year before. So for me, the, the 2006 nature of the Peter Brock Trophy has a really powerful, prudent sense of memory and sense of purpose for me. And I'm sure for most Australians who understand Brock's success, they just, the two things just line up. Fox Sports live coverage begins on Thursday with Sevens live and free coverage beginning on Friday. One way or another, the parody debate is going to continue right up until first practised on Thursday and possibly well into the weekend. The Mustangs get some lighter body panels, but Ford teams are still waiting to hear if they'll get some aero relief as well. It's understood Ford is pushing for a quick fix to the front bar to reduce drag and shift some downforce to the rear, aiding rear tyre life. But also do not be surprised if the move is strenuously resisted by at least one Chevrolet team. A major parody argument may yet dominate and have a big bearing on the outcome. There will be a lot of pressure on Ford homologation team DJR to perform and more again on Anton Di Pasquale, the only on-track Mustang winner so far this season. ADP admits it's time for a big result. Hopefully really well. Hopefully um, we obviously get our head around the car and that track with this car is going to be different. Obviously different car to last year, different tyre, all these different things that are going to play out and we're going to see that different ideas work their way through the race. So hopefully we're on the right end of it. Um, hopefully we tick the boxes, anything can happen and will happen through that thousand Ks um, and hopefully we nail them all. Di Pasquale also concedes there are plenty of unknowns going into the big race. Yeah, different cars um, this year. Obviously, I think we've been adapting really well as a category with the new cars. Um, the new tyre at Bathurst, we haven't used the soft tyre there ever. So that's a whole different element as well. Um, probably almost more than the car, just understanding how that tyre is going to work, how long it's going to last, um, the fuel lasts longer than tyres, all those different questions, which we knew for sure previous years, which we don't know now. So we'll learn that through practice. That's going to be key. Um, but yeah, super exciting because there's a bit of mystery to it. And that's really exciting. His Shell V-Power Racing co-driver, Tony Delberto, is looking to make a childhood dream come true. To actually get my hands on that trophy and hold it uh, would be a dream come true. You know, it's something that I've been working towards all my career. I've had many shots at the race, um, yet to, to actually win the race, had a podium there in 2017. Um, and I think it's my time. I think it's my chance. Um, you know, we'll be putting our best foot forward like we do every year. Just one of those places that, uh, you know, is obviously a very difficult race to win. Everyone more than ever wants to win that particular race. And uh, it's just, you know, amazing to be part of the whole event. 60th anniversary of the event, which is just incredible to sort of be part of such an iconic uh, motorsport event in Australia. It's the biggest event we have here in Australia. So uh, I can't wait to get to the mountain and uh, cut my first laps in the Gen 3. The consensus is that the Fords need a late parity adjustment to contend in the race. More after this short break. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf 
Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au All your fuel at the racetrack. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. Welcome back. Simona Di Silvestro is making a popular return to supercars at Bathurst. She's sharing DJR's first wildcard entry with teen star Kai Allen. They did a delayed pre-Bathurst test at Queensland Raceway last week. Di Silvestro now fully recovered from an emergency appendectomy. She's happy to finally be back after so long away. Yeah, 100%, because, you know, uh, I think when I left at the end of 19, it was, uh, I really liked the series, you know, I really enjoyed my time here. I've, like, uh, met so many uh, good people as well, you know, I had uh, kind of, like, family here and um, and really a lot of good friends. So uh, it felt like I would want to come back, you know, especially as a, as a co-driver, something that was in my mind. But uh, with COVID, you know, that threw uh, kind of a lot of things into uh, in, up in the air and uh, yet yeah, just took f- four years to come back, I guess. But uh, no, happy to get this first step in and especially with DJR, you know, I think it's quite special. Um, they're an amazing team. So for them also to, to give me the call up, you know, and uh, just saying you don't want to come and drive is, uh, is pretty cool. Simona isn't phased by the switch to Gen 3. Yeah, it was, uh, it's good to actually drive it because, you know, you've, I've heard so many stories about this car and, uh, you know, you just get into it and, uh, and just learn what the car needs. For sure, it's, it's different than what I'm used to. But, you know, to be honest, it's been four years since I drove a supercar. So uh, the first few laps I had to get used to again, uh, sitting on the wrong side, you know, coming out of the corners. I was using a little bit too much road. So things like that, just getting into the groove of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's has a few pedals and a steering wheel and four wheels, and you just try to go as quick as you can with it. She also reports that she's gelling with DJR protege Kai Allen, who's almost half her age. Yeah, definitely. You know, Kai is, uh, is amazing. You know, I think we, we get along quite well. And uh, for sure, you know, I have a few more race, uh, years of racing uh, uh, around and driving different cars. So it's uh, it's been good, you know, like I'm definitely a bit more picky than he is in the car. But uh, uh, then, you know, one of the team members came in is like, oh, that's pretty good, you know, to show that you can be a little bit picky. And yeah, we just need to be comfortable, you know, at the end of the day for him as well. It's going to be his first really long race. And uh, uh, right now we just re- really need to get, you know, as comfortable as we can because uh, it's going to be first time for him. He's going to be, I think, uh, a bit nervous, but, you know, it's always special to that uh, 19 years old, you know, to do Bathurst. I think it's quite cool. So um, hopefully we do a really good job and, uh, yeah, we can leave the place with a, with a smile on our face. Yeah. Alan will be doing double duty at Mount Panorama, competing in Super 2 as well. So, Unless parody arguments interfere, the stage is set for what should be an eventful and thrilling Bathurst 1000. An Australian racing car export success story is in the making on the eastern outskirts of Melbourne. Boutique open-wheeler constructor Hyper Racer is gearing up to supply booming UK and USA demand for its low-cost X1 single-seater. Based in a small factory in Lilydale in Melbourne's Outer East, Hyper Racer is the brainchild of father and son team John and Dean Crook, who are steeped in Australian motor racing history. The X1 is a futuristic-looking ground effects turnkey single-seater that costs $100,000 
and can be run for as little as $10,000 a year. Restricted to racing in AASA events here, Dean Crook says demand has taken off overseas. Yeah, so with the Hyper Acer X1, we've obviously ticked a few boxes for people here in Australia and come up with a pretty popular car um, that's affordable to run and and is quick and looks great and sounds great. And uh, now people from overseas are taking notice. We've got a car already running in the UK and we've got big, big plans for the States and um, and looks like people are, are liking the same things that we do and uh, big things on the horizon. How many of these X1s have you built so far and how many are just down the track? We've built 18. We're in the middle of building number 19 right now and we've got orders on the books to see us through to 38 cars. He explains that the Hyper Racer X1 offers high performance at an affordable cost. The X1 is the right blend of performance, running costs, serviceability, uh, weight, safety features, all, all of the things that uh, come together to make a, a really good race car. So tube frame chassis, uh, which means it's repairable and the right price to manufacture. Carbon fibre bodywork everywhere, which is, is sort of what you need these days and, and lightweight and, and structural enough, um, but used in a way that it's, it's non-structural, so it does keep the cost down in a, in a, in a crash or something like that. Uh, the car uses the right kind of components to keep a lid on the cost as well, which is the Formula 3 tyre, which is readily available all around the world. The Hayabusa Superbike engine, which anyone that knows anything about bike engines knows this is the motor to run. Um, and typically you can pull those motors out of, of secondhand wrecked bikes. Um, so the motor in itself is kind of cost capped because you're not, ha you're, not, you're not dealing with a $40,000 race motor in this car. You can buy another one of these things for $6,500. So, and that includes, that motor package includes the six-speed sequential gearbox and the clutch and all the electrical systems and everything in one unit. So people can carry a spare motor or replace a motor if it goes really wrong. Uh, then further on with the car, it's lightweight, it's at 400 kilos, so it's very easy on the gear. We're using a, a generic Willwood brake caliper with brake pads that you can purchase on eBay. And, uh, and a lot of details like that. Not much tech in the car. It's still a, a sequential hand shifter, which keeps costs down, but also we believe that's how a race car should be. I think you're meant to shift these things with your hand, but um, it eliminates $8,000 techie paddle shift systems. It's simply a push-pull cable from the front to the back. Um, it looks awesome. It makes a lot of downforce. The car's making at least 600 kilos of downforce at 200 k's an hour, so more than its own weight. So mm -hmm. it's hanging on like crazy through the fast corners. And it's, it's just an overall good package. So how much to buy and how much to run dur during a season? Uh, the cars are $100,000 Australian. Uh, that's for a complete turnkey car, painted, ready to run, nothing you need to do, no upgrades you need to do to make it competitive, everything is spec. But then where the car really comes into its own is the ongoing running costs and a, and a, a yearly budget of, for example, $10,000 would would get you done for the whole year for sure, including a couple of sets of tyres, not including crash damage. But we're talking a car that laps consistently faster than a V8 supercar, which can be run for an entire year for, for $10,000. It's off the scale really for the performance of the car and, and the way it looks and the, what it does, it's unmatched in its running costs. Dad John Crook is a former Australian Formula 2 champion who pretty much invented racing simulators as we now know them. Crook Senior is also famous for winning a shootout. 
to join Peter Brock's team as a co-driver way back in 1987. But his big break didn't end so well. We finished fourth at Castrol 500, and then uh, the one at uh, Bathurst, his car blew up on lap 37 or something, and came in and he patted me on the back and said, uh, bad luck, John, go home, I'm taking your car. So he went on and finished third in the race, and eventually they disqualified the two overseas cars because they shouldn't have been there in the first place mm -hmm. and uh, he ended up winning his uh, ninth Bathurst or whatever it was, 10th Bathurst. And so this is 1987? 1987, my name's still on the mudguard as, uh, in, a, in the historic car. you got car, that drive because you basically won a, a test drive, a shootout at Calder, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, we did a shootout at Calder and they had, I think there was the world's world champion supercar driver and the drive, Formula 4 driver to Europe series right. winner and, you know, some top steerers and yeah, again, I was um, king, of, king of the kids on that particular day. I must have got out of bed on the right side. I don't know what happened there, but uh, yeah, that was the end of it. So in the end, uh, with the V8s, it wasn't satisfying like the F2. The F2 was a real mm -hmm. race car, and that we had a very, very serious race team, Michael Borland and a guy called Ken Ward, right. and we were the A team, no drinking for a whole year, like it was really focused. And I got into Rocky's crew, and it was, uh, it was fun, but it wasn't, wasn't serious enough. And quite frankly, I was a bit stunned that the top category in Australian motorsport wasn't as professional as Formula 2 racing was. So, so at the end of it, I just uh, had enough and Brocky sort of after Bathurst went on a pretty bad streak. Yeah, and really yeah it's a long that. story. Everybody yeah. knows the story. Mm. So I just faded away into oblivion. John Cook is 72 and still going strong after more than three decades of behind-the-scenes racing innovation. Back soon. Speedcafe.com, your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews, all in the palm of your hand, anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com. First, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. And now with her roundup of the weekend's racing, here's Jackie. MotoGP raced at Mategi for the Japanese Grand Prix where Promac racing rider Herge Martin took victory in the sprint and the Grand Prix. He is now within three points of championship leader Francesco Bagnaia. Bagnaia was second from Honda's Marc Marquez. Australian Jack Miller was sixth on his KTM. At the World Rally Championships in Chile, Ott Tanek took victory for M Sport, outlasting his rivals Terry Neuville and Elfin Evans. Championship leader Kelly Robin Perra has a chance to seal his second title at the next event, which will be the Central European Rally based out of Germany. In the NASCAR Cup Series, Ryan Blaney won on his second trip to Talladega, leading Kevin Harvick and William Byron across the line. And the countdown is on to the Bathurst 1000 next weekend, not only featuring supercars, but also Super 2, the Porsche Carrera Cup Australia, the Toyota 86 Series, Australian Sports Sedan Series and the V8 Super Utes. This is Jackie Shivey for Speed Cafe. Thanks, Jackie. Well, that's it for now. Back next week with the latest breaking news. In the meantime, for everything in motorsport around the world as it happens, go to speedcafe.com. I'll be back on Wednesday with a special extended preview of the Bassett 1000 
featuring, as previously advertised, popular TV pit lane pundit Mark Larkham. Yes, the Larkometer is back. Larko's ratings cannot be missed. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. <laughs>